Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green. Uh, and joining me this week, as always, is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And also sitting in for Sam is our different resident everyman, our old other <laughs> resident everyman, <laughs> Stefan Jin. I thought I was going to get introduced first for some reason. So when you said resident science expert, I was like, oh. No panic. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I have to live up to that now. Illustrious. <laughs> mm-hmm. Old resident uh, everyman. That I can live up to. Hey, you two. What are you, what are you thankful for? <laughs> oh. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. 
Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Miriam Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary-defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, They sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks, and we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850+, their best-selling honey. It's not the same. (laughs) It's not (laughs) what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 plus Manuka honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's manukora.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. God, I'll go first. that's a hard question. These days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, there's so many things. What about just like, I just think that it's so great that humans are like, let's make a music. In fact, I was just inside of my house and my son, we have a piano and my son uh, started to play three, I think just two notes in a three note group. And then he made it faster and faster and it was really low down. And it sort of felt like the beginning of a heavy metal song. And he like his tempo just kept increasing until finally it got too fast for me. And he just like slammed on the bottom path. And I was like, you've done it. You've written your first song. So I'm thankful for that. <laughs> well, I'm thankful for all of you. I got to see Stefan's face. I've seen Stefan's parents before more recently than I've seen Stefan. <laughs> what I'm genuinely not mushily thankful for is public transportation. Ooh, I love living yeah. in a space. Mm-hmm. Now, where I can take a train, a bus, uh, any number of the, a ferry, I can take so many different <laughs> forms of public transit alongside my fellow humans who are just. And yes, there are a lot of things wrong 
a train, several trains caught on fire this year. A line was shut down for a month. But <laughs> when you like walk on a train with hundreds of other people and walk out and everyone disperses into their relative directions, yeah. it's like, yeah. I feel like a little ant and everything is so perfectly coordinated. And how does this even work? We, we created this infrastructure where people can get to where they need to get to without hopping in our individual cars. Yeah, it's super. Like, I love feeling like part of a system. I am. I know, mm-hmm. like, I objectively know that I'm always part of a system. But when I'm in a city, I feel kind of feel it more. I am the bl- it, the blood in the blood vessel, traveling around, making society function. Oh, I think I actively avoid that feeling. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't want to be the in the blood vessel. Uh, what am I thankful for? Uh, Taylor Swift's Midnight. Oh, is that the new one? Yeah, the 3 a.m. version. Have that on repeat. That's way, like, not midnight. It's the same time of night, roughly. I mean, it's I feel not. very different Th- at 3 a.m. 3 a.m. midnight. Oh, well, I, I feel it's dark. like I have the same vibes at midnight versus 3 a.m. I mean, at this point in my life, I'm more likely to be waking up at 3 a.m. than staying up <laughs> to 3 a.m. So that's really different from... A lot of the previous years I've lived. Uh-huh. 3 a.m. feels more um, chaotic to me where you've been working really hard on something and you're in a flow state and then all of a sudden you look up and mm. it's like, oh, it's yeah. 3 a.m. Or you're doing something days. with friends and you're like, whoa, it's 3 a.m. Mm. And midnight's like... Just eh, midnight. I'm watching Netflix. Midnight. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> 3 a.m. is like I'm a little bit further in the video game. But I've I've still been playing since before midnight. Yeah, yeah. Three AM is like is like is like Civilization five times. Probably like twenty percent of the times I've been awake at three AM has been because of Sid Meier. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, oh, this podcast is brought to you by Sid Meier's Civ Five, uh, hey. a game that they're actively not promoting anymore. Anyway, um, I. I'm also grateful for all of our SciShow Tangents listeners. Thank you so much for showing up. Every week here on Tangents, we get together to try to one-up amaze and delight each other with science facts while also trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for glory. They're also playing for Hank Bucks, which I will be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of you two will be crowned the winner. And they're not Chin Bucks anymore. No. I got shafted on the name after I won. I believe you decided to leave the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. (laughs) The truth comes out. This is Stefan's little... uh, (laughs) You'll never guess what happened on my science podcast. (laughs) I got kicked I don't know if that ever seemed that way to anyone, but we... But Stefan didn't do a bad thing that we kicked him off the podcast Uh for, just so you know. That's not what happened. I feel like if people thought that, somebody would have come at me on Twitter. (laughs) Somebody would have said something, probably, yeah. Somebody would have said something. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from Stefan. Wings, wings, those beautiful things. Oh, wow. Oh, what lift. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Sorry, I'm sorry I interrupted. (laughs) Okay, okay. Wings, wings, those beautiful things. Oh, what lifting a true wing can bring. Yes! The tip of a wing sends air spiraling in mesmerizing swirls of vorticity. But the thing about wings is their great diversity. Birds and bats, (laughs) yes, but also some seeds. Propellers, race cars, and F-16s. Winged things move aerodynamically. 
Now, flight was a dream to which humans would cling until flight was made right eventually. But if you instead leave the dreaming up to me, I wish for wings boneless and very spicy. Ah. Oh, wow. Oh, boy. I think the meter got kind of borked in the middle there but you know I think Stefan, this that's is a classic Stefan <laughs> it, it feels none a little of us bit... can recreate it yeah yeah <laughs> it's like it leaves you a little bit at moments sort of feeling like you're you've teetered over the edge and you don't know what's happening but then it catches you as you fall like a like any good Emily Dickinson poem is <laughs> I think you're just like that so the topic for today though it's wings um which apparently lots of things rhyme with and wings are and it's interesting stefan out like outlined in his poem several things that i would not have thought of as wings including seed like pr- propeller seed wings and also mm-hmm. like the spoilers on a race car which is i guess a mm-hmm. wing like it's trying to use air to influence lift but not to create lift to fight against it so i don't even well, i don't know if we sh- should should consider that as a wing yeah it's just you just flip it upside down so that the lift is pushing you down instead of up. That's true, but if you put a cup that's upside all. down, is it a cup anymore? Yeah, <laughs> Sarah, yeah, that's it's a just wing. An upside down that's cup. like <laughs> <laughs> no one, no one questioned me. Sarah wants yeah. a wing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a weird thing called a blorble. <laughs> no wet liquid can hold you held in that. That's not a cup anymore. Before this episode, I was like, oh, there are two kinds of wings. There's the wings on the birds and that, like vertebrate wings and uh, airplane wings. And that was it. But as Stefan's poem highlighted, a samara is a type of, is like the winged seed or fruit. It has a name. And then, I don't know, I'm building off of Stefan's poem mostly. Uh, got the, the classic edible wings with muscle. From chickens and other birds, presumably. And the most controversial thing that I saw, besides uh, the idea that airfoils are potentially upside-down wings, as Stefan mentioned, is that wing is a subset of fin. So whales Mm. have fins, which are any sort of... I'm just going to define it with my own body. Like an appendage that is attached to a larger thing that produce some sort of lift or thrust. So like there's a physical force going on and wings are specifically producing lift through air rather than other fluids. But then Mm -hmm. I don't know, you Mm. can get kind of technical there and be like, well, air is a fluid, water is a fluid. And then I feel like you can have a water. water. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I I feel like there's water wings. Do like, does a whale's flipper, is it, producing a lot of lift through like aerodynamics or do because they do kind of do a flapping thing too they propel themselves with it so it's definitely yeah. thr- i don't know enough about physical forces can i interrupt and tell you the list of things that people on twitter who follow me have informed me are not themselves once they are turned upside down <laughs> that was fast did someone say cup? Uh, a number you... of people did say cup, uh, but I think no. uh, someone said if you turn a bowl upside down, it's now a cloche. And I don't know what a cloche is, but <laughs> okay. It's like things in hotels where they're like, your food, sir. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh. Thank you. Uh, that's exa- Everyone understood that. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even if the people who couldn't see you doing the gesture understood your uh-huh. food, sir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so things include a bucket hat, which pre- presumably just becomes a bucket if it's upside down. A handstand, which is no longer a handstand if it's upside down. The life of the Fresh uh. Prince of Bel-Air, which did get flipped, turned upside down and was quite different before that. A stalactite, which becomes a stalagmite. I don't know about that one. The letter M, great one. That's now definitely a W. This is one of my favorites. Mm. A hammer with an axe on the bottom. If you turn it upside down, it's an axe with a hammer on the bottom. <laughs> no, this is a... Uh, this is uh, a horrible question. This is going to be your new question for P. Frey, and I hate it already. <laughs> the most common one, which is totally true, a frown. It's <laughs> I can get behind most of these, okay? Yeah. But the but the cup is still a cup. The cup because is when still you a do cup. that, when you're one of those con artists on the street and you have the three cups with the little the P underneath and you have people guess, it's mm-hmm. it's a game of cups. It's not a cloche game. It's a game of cups. <laughs> Sherry, do we know anything about the etymology of wings? There are a lot of ways to refer to wings. I think it was something that we very obviously pointed out on an animal because birds are very obvious. And then we're like, what do we call it? So the Latin word for, for feather and or wing was pinna, uh, which gave us the word fin, as it sounds like it. It also gave us the word pen because we used feathers as pens. The ancient Greek patera, terra mm-hmm. with a P, mm-hmm. um, meant wing. And so that's where we get a lot of our animal um, taxonomy sure. suffixes. Mm-hmm. So hymenoptera or helicopter oh, or mm. other or just things. like pterodactyl. Pterodactyl, yes. And the word, the modern word wing didn't come along until the late 12th century. Um, and it specifically referred to uh, wenge, uh, I think is how it was pronounced, W-E-N-G-E, uh-huh. which is the forelimb of a bird or a bat that was related to flight. So at some point in the history of talking about flying animals, we went from the thing with feathers and mm-hmm. had a lot of words around the yep. fact that wings had to have feathers. And then we realized in the late 12th century that bats were a thing. <laughs> we were like, damn, we got to call wings something else. And so then... I think I don't know from where. You just made it up. It is generally an unknown origin of gotcha. where wing came from. So it was probably just some guy who was like, "Well, <laughs> that flying critter don't have feathers. <laughs> it's I a need wing. a special word for that. <laughs> yeah, I need a special word. So I think we have a fairly good idea of what wings are, even though probably not, as is the way of these <laughs> things. <laughs> so we're going to move on to the quiz portion of our show. This week, we're going to be playing Truth or Fail Wings Edition. Obviously, wings are very good for helping animals take off into the air, but there's more to life than flying, and there's more to wings than helping animals move around. In fact, nature has found some other creative uses for wings. The following are three stories about additional talents exhibited by animals and their wings, but only one of them is true. Which one is it? So... Here's story number one. Bats like to eat moths using echolocation to find them. So to avoid detection, moths have special scales on their wings that are able to absorb sound, making them harder for bats to find. But it could be fact number two. Bowflies 
like to colonize the carcasses of dead animals, but that means they end up competing with each other for space. So after landing, blowflies will extend their wings to make as much space for themselves as possible and keep other blowflies away from their precious meal. Or it could be fact number three. Butterflies migrating long distances have to be able to adjust to different climates on their journeys. So their wings are equipped with microscopic structures that respond to changes in wind speed by making tiny adjustments to the shape of the butterfly's wing so they can fly more efficiently. Which is it? Is it story number one? Moths have soundproof scales on their wings to avoid bat detection. Fact number two, blowflies use their wings as a fence to carve out a space on animal carcasses. Or fact number three, butterfly wings shapeshift at the microscopic level to adjust to changes in wind speed. Starting with the moths, I feel like I've heard this before, but that's always deceptive. It's tricky. Yeah. (laughs) Because I also, I'm like, I saw something about moths one time, but who knows? Well, I don't know. I could totally see a wing doing something, like changing shape in a way that would... Because, like, you have, like, I don't know, like, they design planes and stuff that can't be seen on, like, radar or whatever because it's shaped in particular ways to, like, repel the the signals in, in away from the source. So I, it, can, I, it seems plausible that a moth could, do, could be doing something like that. Are their wings, like, fur, furry? Feather? Not really feathery, but they... Well, yeah, they're certainly not fur, furry or feathery, but they, they look that way. They look, yeah. they look fuzzy. I mean, that that also feels like it could trap echolocation pings in some way as well. Yeah, we got sound. Yeah, you know, sound foam. Yeah, it's like sound foam. Yeah, I I agree. And it seems like a very obvious evolutionary advantage. Any moths that had this ability would survive because they are not being eaten. Right. But I think that also applies to the third one which is the butterfly morphine wing where mm-hmm. if you don't can't survive the heat if you can't beat the heat you're just gonna die uh <laughs> so <laughs> that i don't know how an insect would morph their wing in that way i don't know enough mm-hmm. about insect wings but it feels like once the butterfly wings unfurl they're just there and then you can Doing wing extend stuff. them out flap do the wing thing and then close and open. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they got like a limp flowing around in there. I don't know what they do, but it feels like they could do something. And then I think it's also an evolutionary advantage to, to stake out your claim on a carcass, you know, I like the idea of them with their little shoulders out. Like me on the train, throwing my shoulders out. So (laughs) people stand too freaking close to me. (laughs) Public transportation is like a carcass. But for but in a poetic way, yeah, yeah, in a really beautiful, loving way that I'm thankful for, (laughs) where we're all competing for space and resources, but we're just glad it's there in the first place. This does not make any scientific sense, but when I imagine flies in general, I sort of imagine that they are very welcoming to other flies in terms of food. (laughs) Because the food sources are so much bigger than they are usually. And so they're just like, we're all here on this giant peach or whatever. Like, you know, come on down. They're happy to share a meal, you know? I love that. I love the idea that like flies seem gross, but actually they're the most sharing of all the organisms. They're like, there's there's always enough. That's how it works. 
when you're a fly. I'm going to go with moths, I think, because I have this nagging feeling in my brain that if I don't choose it and it's right, oh. I will be so frustrated with myself. <laughs> That's a good way to choose, I think. I'm also going with moths. I feel like while I was looking around, I saw something about moths and something about butterflies. So I feel like it's one of those. Mm. But I also, moths is the only one that, is the one that makes the most sense to me scientifically, I guess. And so we'll go. But what, well, I'm going with that. But yeah, you can, we'll see. You don't have to justify yourself anymore, <laughs> Stefan, because you're both right. I was hoping to oh. maybe throw you off because their their bodies are definitely sound, sound confusing. Like they're like mm. stealth fuzzy that's why they're that's why moths are fuzzy and butterflies aren't because moths are out at night and they have to confuse echolocators um uh. which is wild that there's such an obvious reason for their fuzz um so they have a few different methods to avoid detection by bats and that includes the furry layer on their body it absorbs bat ultrasound also the flapping of their wings like the actual way that they flap their wings reflects echoes in um confusing ways but the researchers studying moth wings have also found that their wings have scales that are designed to absorb sound. So naturally, that made them curious about whether these scales could be used to make soundproofing materials for us to use. So scientists have tested out how the scales worked when attached to a surface that reflects a lot of sound. And they found that the scales could reduce sound by as much as 87%. And oh, now wow. we're going to harvest moths like crazy. And just, <laughs> just nail them up all over. <laughs> the recording studio my moth tapestry <laughs> are do, do we know are the scales like is it like a a porous thing or like it's almost like lay like the scales individual scales are almost like layers of flame shapes so there's oh. like tapers to each one and i think and there's depth to it so i think that that lets the sound sort of get in and then not come out it's like a bunch of iron thrones yeah, <laughs> just made of. It looks to me like ghost ghost hands. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> just picture ghost hands, everyone. That's what it's like. So blowflies have been observed using their wings while colonizing carcasses of dead animals to ward off fire ants, but not by just shoving at them. They actually buzz their wings at the ants and other insects also turn to wing buzzing as a defense against predators. So that is a thing that is true. And butterfly wings uh, protect butterflies from rain. So they don't do this cool shape-shifting thing, but they do protect mm. them from rain using microscopic structures on the wing that can break raindrops as they land, which is very oh. important for butterflies, oh, cool. given how heavy a raindrop is to a butterfly wing. One scientist studying the raindrops compared uh, a raindrop landing on a butterfly to a bowling ball falling on a human. So to study how the butterflies survive, researchers used a high-speed camera to watch water drops as they hit a butterfly. And the structures on the wing break the water droplet into smaller drops, and that lessens the amount of impact on the wing and keeps the mm -hmm. wing from getting cold as well. So that means you both come out of that with one point. Next up, we're going to take a short break, and then it'll be time for the fact off. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for the Fact Off. Our panelists have brought science facts to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind. After they have presented their facts, I will judge them and award Hank Bucks any way I see fit. But to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question. 
The Burke Museum in Seattle has the largest collection of spread wings from birds, which is exactly what it sounds like. Wings spread out so that you can see them in full. The wings are carefully separated from the body of dead birds and then air dried and stored in bug free storage to keep them safe. The collection is used by wildlife artists as well as by researchers studying things like feather molting and wing shape. How many wings are currently in the museum's collection? So it's like Ooh. just the wings, just Not the wings. separated from the bodies. Brought, huh? brought, took them off, took them off. Weird. And had just uh, a wing museum. This is not fair. This is Sari's home turf. Yeah, but well, I didn't. Sari did, <laughs> didn't count the bird wings. <laughs> I did not go. Unfortunately, I was but, not a bird nerd uh, well, as a child. Know. Maybe she has a better sense of the scale of this museum. It's like pretty big. Ah. So imagine how many birds would fit into a museum and then double it. <laughs> That's how I'm doing it because, because wings. Um, I'm going to say 2,000. Oh, Okay. I'll say 20,000. The answer oh. is nice range. Is 40,000. Whoa. So congratulations, wow. Double it, Sari. Double it. <laughs> yeah, you got to remember it's not like at a museum, almost everything's in the back. In, in yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they just got just got racks and racks that they can pull out and be like, what, what bird do you want? I got a wing from everybody. And I bet it smells great. Well, wings don't have that much to rot on them, I feel like. Do bird feathers smell bad? The I've the thing that was one. stinky in the field in the in the museum at the university where the brain scoop was filmed was the like water birds because they had like a bunch of oils in their feathers to keep oh. them. Mm. So that oil got rancid and it just stunk. When I was there, it's, it doesn't. There's not much of a scent. Well, I think feel like once things get dried out, it's like eh. So that means that Stefan gets to decide who goes first. Oh, I guess I'll go. So uh, I'm going to talk about parachutes, uh, which are kind of wing-ish. Um, <laughs> they don't do as much lifting, I guess, but it's in the same vein. Uh, <laughs> so we've had the idea for parachutes for a long time, of course. Uh, apparently there's light evidence that around the year 1100, uh, there were Chinese people jumping off of things with rigid umbrellas and uh, surviving, but, but that's, uh, it, <laughs> I don't know if we know much more right. than that. Okay. Um, and then like Da Vinci, of course, sketched an umbrella or not an umbrella, uh, a parachute. Um, but it was like pyramid shaped, which is an interesting choice. Um, and then I guess the first successful jump with a like fabric parachute without a rigid frame uh, so something more like what we would think of as a parachute was 1797, which was earlier than I would have expected. The thing about traditional parachutes is that they need a lot of, uh, you have to jump from high enough up so that you have enough room, uh, enough time for the parachute to open. And during the early 1900s, when f flight was just sort of becoming a thing, they already knew about these like a general parachute design, but they didn't have a design that would work for pilots who are in an emergency and possibly at low altitude. And so that leads us to Franz Reich, Reichelt, Reichelt uh, who's also known as the flying tailor. 
Uh, and he was <laughs> he was trying to design. I know, I know, kind about of this one. <laughs> you know the story. <laughs> I, do, I, do. Uh, I don't. Yeah. So he was trying to design a parachute wingsuit type thing that would be like a parachute that was integrated into the pilot's flight suit. Um, so if they needed to, they could just sort of jump out and be good. And he was testing his design on dummies by like throwing them off of his apartment building which I think was five, five stories up. And I think he had like some initial success, but then like as he kept going, like it was not really working out super well. And like his original design used a ton of fabric and weighed 150 pounds. So it's like not super practical. <laughs> this makes but- me fall faster. <laughs> increased your terminal velocity. <laughs> oh, no. But uh, Franz was very, very confident in his design. And so he moved on to doing some test jumps himself. Uh, and so one of his jumps was from 26 feet up. And, that, and he ended up with a broken leg. And the lesson that he took from that was that he needed to jump from higher up. <gasps> um, because the shoot, yeah. like, the shoot needs more time to deploy. So... Uh, and when I first read that, I was like, what the hell are you thinking? But like, it makes sense yeah. why you would yeah, want I mean, to go you, higher. A base up. jumper has to jump from a certain height. For uh-huh. the period, mm-hmm. And that's with like modern materials. He ended up spending like, I think over a year trying to apply for permission to throw a dummy off of the balcony of the Eiffel Tower um, or the low. I think it's the lower balcony, which is 180 feet up. And so they kept rejecting him, but eventually he did get permission to do that. So of course, he called the press because he's like, everyone needs to come see this um, because once they see the value of my design, I'm going to get like, I think there was a cash prize that you could win if you if you designed a parachute that could fulfill the needs of pilots. But of course, Mr. Franz uh, pulled a little switcheroo and he showed up to this, this event wearing the suit himself uh, oh, because he had fully intended the whole time to do the jump himself, even though he was like, no, I'm going to totally just throw a dummy, guys. So he did He did the jump, and it did not deploy correctly, and he ended up falling to his death uh, in front of a crowd of press, uh, which is not a fun story. Uh, no! <laughs> <laughs> what was wrong with his design? Obviously many things, but was it impossible with the materials at the time? Or was it an engineering uh, flaw? Or I don't know. I'm I'm trying to get into his head. Yeah, there, as far as I saw, I didn't see like a ton of details about his specific exi- design. Like you can kind of see pictures of it, or, or of like at least one of the versions of it where it does have this sort of like rigging that looks like it's trying to splay the material out a bit. But it also, I think, was sort of, um, sort of looked like like the modern wingsuits where there was some fabric that was meant to to sort of balloon out between all the limbs and things like that. I know that what, during his, his jump, it didn't like he, it got, he got kind of tangled up in the fabric. So it might've been like the deploying mechanism was just not reliable or like it was probably no matter what, even if it had worked, it probably would not have been great. Uh, but mm. it, it seems to have been an engineering problem where it, it was not, it did not deploy, even though he had plenty of time for it to deploy. Sari, what do you got for me? <laughs> I'm Does everyone lost live? In the... Yeah, yeah, mine's uh, very different. The club-winged mannequin, which has the excellent scientific name, Machiropterus 
deliciosus is a cute little South American bird with bright red and black coloring. So we're a little, we're in the cheerful zone now. And while most birds have hollow or partially hollow bones, because that's a helpful adaptation to stay light for flying, these birds are unique. A research team used high-resolution micro-CT scans, which is basically where you take a bunch of x-rays to see slices of an object and then put them together to make a 3D image, to look at the bones of two male clubbed-wing mannequins. And they published a paper in 2012 showing how the ulna and humerus bones were much more solid than similar-sized birds. Specifically, they had bigger volumes and higher tissue mineral densities. So they were really chunky bones. My first thought was that these unusual hefty wing bones are where the club winged name comes from, but it's not because we didn't know about these chunky bones until relatively recently. The club actually comes from the weird shapes of several of the biggest feathers on each wing. I think there are three different feather shapes in total, and each looks like some sort of cave person or medieval weaponry doodle (sighs) with a narrower base and a, a lumpy tip. And these specialized feathers attach directly to the ulna bone, which is one of those extra dense ones. And when a male is trying to woo a female, they lift their wings up and rub these feathers together, vibrating their wings at around 107 cycles per second, which is more than hummingbird wings or rattlesnake tails. It's one of the fastest muscle twitch vibrations that we know of. And in the same way that a cricket rubs its wings together to chirp, but in my understanding, way more technically complicated because of the ridges on these three pairs of feathers. This makes short bursts of a high-pitched buzzing sound Hmm. that is full of raw sexual energy. (laughs) (laughs) And to me, it kind of sounds like letting air out of a latex balloon. So instead of being the best they can be at flying, though I think they're still small enough that they can flit around, Club-winged mannequins have wings with bulky muscles and solid bones that are specialized to be strong little instruments. And that's just weird because evolution decides to prior well, doesn't decide because the randomness of evolution prioritizes <laughs> eccentric mating rituals over everything else. Yeah. You've evolved these things meant for flying, and now we're gonna make you bad at that, but good at making a <laughs> sound. <laughs> do you know what the fastest twitching muscle is like is this um is this pretty high up there for the vertebrates i think this is pretty pretty high up there i don't know what the fastest but here here are some other other flaps and muscle movements a sparrow flaps its wings at 30 beats per second a relaxed hummingbird is about 65 beats per second uh, mm. An excited male hummingbird is 75 to 90 flaps and a rattlesnake is about 90 shakes per second. So oh, huh. it, it makes me think of the, it's like when you're playing Mario party and you're playing one of those games where you have to like click fast or press the button faster than the other person. And so you get like, you get in there oh, and you're like, Ooh, like you're, uh, not, you're not even like controlling your own. You're just sort of vibrating. Cause you yeah, yeah, your yeah. Muscle. <laughs> Very sexy. <laughs> everybody knows that Mario Party is the human's metabolically expensive mating uh-huh. ritual. Mm-hmm. All right, so now I have to choose because that's my job. I'm obviously dude jumping to his death is a pretty good TikTok. That's a pretty good TikTok. People love that. But I think that starting a TikTok off with what's the fastest any vertebrate vibrates is. <laughs> That's good. Somebody's going to stick around for the rest of that video. 
And uh, and also, I hadn't heard about it already. So Sari's the winner of the episode. I'm sorry, Stefan. That's all right. So now it's time to ask the Science Couch. We've got a listener question for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. Valkilius asks, if planes are able to fly because of the specific shape of their wings, how do they fly upside down? From what I understand, there are two different things that affect this. There's the, uh, there's the angle of attack and there's the shape of the wing. And so you can, uh, you can change the angle of attack so that it overcomes the, it's still dramatically less efficient, uh, but you can change the angle of attack so that you can fly a plane upside down perpetually, even though the wing shape is wrong. Um, but it's just way less efficient. I mean, I, the only thing I have to add to that is that some, there are different acrobatic maneuvers that stunt planes can do. There's like a loop-de-loop flying upside down and like rolling, barrel mm-hmm. roll. There, there are plenty of planes that are not designed to do this. So you wouldn't necessarily try this with a passenger plane because by the time you flipped it upside down and then tilted the nose to an angle at which the wings would give you lift, it, I think that would take way too much time and the physics would be working against you. But a lot of stunt planes that are meant to fly upside down have symmetrical wing shapes. So in addition to adjusting the angle that the plane is flying at to maximize lift or match the lift of a right side up plane, by making the wing shape symmetrical, it's easier to do that right. upside okay. down without cool. throwing off the balance as much. So you, you the, even when you're flying right side up, your wing shape is the same as when you're flying upside down. So yeah, just to prove that much. it's not just the wing shape, you can fly a, a, a plane with a symmetrical wing. I'm just thinking about the passengers. They don't want to be yeah, upside yeah. down. That's another huge thing. There's a bunch of people in the plane and they also don't <laughs> want to be upside down. <laughs> yeah. They and if that. I've ordered a Sprite yeah. and I go upside down, is it still a cup? I don't know. <laughs> it's <laughs> a crisis. I can tell you what it's not is a cup of Sprite. Like it's, <laughs> no, it's just a cup. <laughs> well, if you want to ask the Science Casual question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. You can also join the SciShow Tangents Patreon and ask us on Discord, because who knows what's going on with Twitter. Thank you to Iriandia on Discord, at Kate the Queer Kid, and everybody else who asked us questions for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's super easy to do that. You can go to patreon.com slash scishowtangents to become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes. We also have a tier where you can get a special in-episode shout-out, which is what patron John Pollock subscribed at. Thank you to John. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's super helpful, and it helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell people about tell it. Tell people, people about, about us. us. Is it? It's been a while. <laughs> tell people Nailed about it. us. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. I've, I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stephen Chin. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz. Our editor is Seth Glixman. Our story editor is Alex Billow. Our social media organizer is Julia Buzz Bazzaio. Our editorial assistant is Dubuki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Kunamedish. Our executive producers are Kaylin Hoffmeister and me, Hank Green. And of course, we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing.
Engineers rely on really precise measurements to design and build things, so there are standard ways to describe diagrams of vehicles like planes. A common XYZ coordinate system has the Y-axis extend from the nose to the tail of the plane, and it's often called the butt line or buttock line. So it just makes sense that the place where the wing joins onto the main body of the plane is called the wing butt line, and it can be attached with structures like wing butt ribs, uh, which can also be called wing roots. But, you know, that's less less fun. Would you eat a wing butt rib? That does sound yeah. OK. All of those parts are tasty. The, there's also there's a thing in a plane called the auxiliary auxiliary power unit, which is uh, just an engine that creates all the electricity on the plane. So there's a little generator in the mm. back of a plane. And it has an exhaust that comes right out the butt of the plane. And Catherine, my wife, mm. once looked at that and she pointed at it and she said, plainness. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's on the butt line, so it's definitely yeah. correct. Yeah. A little farting um, too. So every time I look at the exhaust of an APU, <laughs> I think plainness every, every time. <laughs> 